We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. As today we're going to see the revelation, the interpretation, the application, as today we're going to be just blown away, I believe, um, with God's word and God's going to challenge us, you know, as he sets us out there in the world to be salt and to be light, like Daniel was a, a light there in bad Babylon, God wants to use our lives as well for his glory. Because look what we read here in Daniel 2, beginning in verse 24, it says, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Now, I know we're picking it up right in the middle of a story. So just in case you weren't here last week, let me give you a quick uh, background to this. What had happened was King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Um, more than likely, he remembered it, but he didn't want to tell anybody what the dream was. There's a possibility that he forgot it. But all we know is that he was troubled by this dream. And so he woke up the next day and he called all the wise men, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the soothsayers, all the guys supposedly with education, maybe they graduated from Harvard University. They were all the wise guys of the land. And he said, what I want you to do is I want you to tell me my dream and I want you to tell me my interpretation. And so, um, you know, the guys came. They stood before him. They said, oh, king, live forever. Sorry, though. You know, no one could do that. No one could come before you, tell you your dream, much less the interpretation. And so um, the king said, okay, my decision is firm. Um, unless you do this, you're going to die. I'm going to take you. I'm going to cut you in pieces. I'm going to take your house, and it's going to be it's going to be a dunghill. By the time I'm done with it, your family's wiped out. You're wiped out. You're dead. And so, you know, the, you know, the wise men were like, that's impossible. It can't be done. The only one that could possibly reveal something is the God, the gods. And the gods don't dwell with flesh. Remember? And so, you know, um, the, the Lord begins to, to move in this whole thing. And, and he's going to correct their misconception. You know, that there's not many gods. There's only one God. And he does dwell with flesh. As a matter of fact, our God not only dwells with flesh, he became flesh and dwelt among us. So God's a very personal God. Daniel knew that. And so Daniel went with his friends and they prayed, his three friends. And then the Lord showed him the dream. The Lord gave him the interpretation. It's just so amazing. And so now we pick it up where Daniel calls Ariok and he says, hey, don't kill them. Read, read there in verse 24. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. <laughs> Take me before the king, and I will tell the king its interpretation. And just as a quick side note, I think it's kind of cool that even though they were pagan astrologers, magicians, soothsayers, Chaldeans, Daniel didn't want them to die. I, I like what he says, don't destroy them. He could have said, you know what, these guys are off the wall. They should die, but I tell you what, me and my friends were different, and that's true. But he didn't. He said, don't kill them. 
He said, don't. Let me stand in the gap for them. And just as a quick side note, you know, the presence of a believer can mean deliverance for unbelievers. There'd be a lot of you here today, if it were not for the Lord or the people of the Lord that God has used in your life, you would be dead. Right? It might be an overdose. You may have taken your own life. It may be through the counsel of a Christian who told you to get out of those gangs. You don't need to be involved in that type of scandalous violence or whatever it might be. You know how the Lord will use people, Christians, Christian principles and concepts to save lives, not only spiritually, but even physically. Remember when Paul the Apostle was on his way to Rome and he was in the ship, he told them, don't go. They went anyways, and so what did Paul do? He prayed for them. They were in the middle of this crazy, tempestuous storm, and he prayed for them. And then an angel came and spoke to him in the book of Acts 27, verse 23 and 24. He says, Paul, the Lord has heard your prayer, and he's granted to you those whom you requested, and 276 people lived because Paul prayed. You see, There is that element we see God will literally save lives spiritually and physically through us as his people. Here God uses Daniel to save the lives of all these guys. And we read in verse 25, after Daniel tells them, Hey, take me to the king. I'll tell him his interpretation. It says in verse 25, Then Ariah quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah, who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And we'll pause there. Ariok brings Daniel into the king. He does so quickly. And he says, I found a man, literally of the same sons of captivity, who will make known to the king the interpretation And then in verse 26, we read that the king inquired of Daniel, Are you able to tell me not just the interpretation of my dream, but the dream that I dreamed? And Daniel said, No. (laughs) You know, no one on earth, there's no wise guy or scientist or philosopher or graduate from some great school. There was no man with multiple degrees who was able to to do so, Daniel says, essentially, including me. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown you the future kingdoms of the world. He has taken the time, King Nebuchadnezzar, to tell you what will happen in time and even at the end of time. And I like that right there because right off the bat, we're going to see this is probably one of the reasons God used Daniel in such a tremendous way is that he just pointed people to the Lord and he said, it's not me. There's not a man on earth. There's not a man in the whole wide world. There's not a person on this planet, not one man who could tell you this, but there is a God in heaven who can. You know, and our God, he's the God in heaven, right? Matthew 6, 9, Jesus said, when you pray, you pray, our Father who is in heaven right and that means that god's in the control room 
You know that means that God's on the throne, right? When you pray, you've got to know that he's the God who oversees this earth. And the significance of that can be seen over in Psalm chapter 115, verse 3. It says, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. And so, you know, to pray to the God in heaven, the God in heaven, that means that he is on the throne. He's in control. God not only knows the future, he controls the future. And we're going to see that as we go through Daniel. God is in heaven. He's on the throne to rule over nations and here to give revelations. Notice again there, as we read through our text, you know, Daniel uh, is talking to the king in verse 28. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He reveals secrets. You guys like secrets? Do you guys have secrets? You probably just told one person, huh? Don't tell anybody. Next thing you know, it just kind of came back to you, you know? The word secret or secrets is found nine times in the book of Daniel and eight times in this chapter. Now, whenever you're studying the Bible, you always want to read it over and over again because the words that are repeated are there to kind of give you maybe the emphasis of the section that you're reading. And so we're reading secrets, secrets, secrets. Look at chapter 2 and verse 18, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret. In verse 19, then the secret was revealed. If you go over to verse 22, speaking of God, he reveals deep and secret things. In verse 27, Daniel answered in the presence of the king, the secret which the king has demanded. And again, in verse 28, there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And then again, verse 29 and verse 30 and verse 47, over and over again, obviously something God wanted to emphasize in this chapter is the fact that God has secrets that he wants to reveal to the sons of men. And it's important for us to know that. You know, to know this secret was necessary in this case in order to save lives So Daniel and his three friends, they prayed to God and God revealed something that only God could reveal. You know, and we're going to see it's not just your typical dream. It's not just like, you know, something merely personal, although it was very personal with Nebuchadnezzar. It's much more than that. It had to do with the world and the days that they were living in. It had to do with future coming of Messiah. It was a big thing. And, you know, I think and I would imagine, you know, when you have a a secret, you have something heavy on your heart. And in one sense, if I could put it this way, it's kind of like God has something heavy on his heart. And he's waiting for someone to seek him. He's starting to move. He wants to reveal things. What should we do, Lord, in the days that we live in? Well, you know, what should I do even in my life? And Lord, you see the situation I'm going on with my health or my kids or my finances or whatever. You know, you see my situation. And I read your word, general principles that I stand on and I will abide in them, Lord. Nothing replaces your word. I test everything by your word. But Lord, is there a personal message that you have for me and my family and my children, this ministry, this society, you know, and, and sometimes there is. You know, what we find right here is this secret was necessary and it was something that only God could give. And that's something that we see. If you think about our dreams, okay, where are your dreams? You know, your dreams are in your mind. 
Uh, they're in your thoughts. They're in your subconscious. You know, even that's hard to define, but they're there in your mind. The devil can't read your mind, right? The devil can put thoughts in your mind, and he does that uh, frequently. They're called fiery darts. They're arrows that he shoots into our mind. But nowhere in the Bible does the Bible say that the devil can read our mind. That's something only God can do. God can read your mind. In Psalm 139, verse 2, the Bible says that he understands our thoughts even afar off, right? In Psalm 94, 11, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 4, it says Jesus knew their thoughts. God knows our thoughts. God knows our dreams. The devil doesn't. So this was something that only God could reveal. And so when King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, he told no one, and the contrary demanded that they tell him. And Daniel said, you know, this is something that only God can do. And God did that. He revealed this dream, this secret to Daniel and his friends. You know, and when you read that, it's just so cool how the Lord can reveal the secrets in his sovereignty. You know, how does that happen? Let's just say you're here today and you're thinking, well, you know, I believe that I do have a personal relationship with God and that I do in my walk as a Christian fellowship with God. Now, usually when you're fellowshipping with someone, you're talking about things. And 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 so you're here today and you're like, I want to hear his voice. I want to hear a still small voice like Nehemiah, even if it was just like that, how the Lord laid things on his heart to do. But it was things that only God could do. I want that type of fellowship with God. How can you get secrets like that? And I'm not talking about Gnosticism. I'm not talking about being weird. I'm talking about theism. I believe in a personal God. How can we have that? You know, well, I know there's a lot to it, but a few verses came to mind Um, One, you might want to put your marker here in Daniel 2, or your gum if you want to just put your gum there. And the reason I say that is it's it's actually a strategy because a lot of people put their gum under their chairs here in church, okay? And so I'm telling you right now, if we catch you doing that, Henry's going to get you, man. Somebody's going to get you, right? (laughs) You guys are funny. Psalm 25 in in verse 14, look what it says. It says, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Now, I believe this is in in his covenant. It's his word. God will give you what the scriptures mean and just the whole relationship aspect with him. But it's that secret of the Lord. It, It can go, I think, even to a very personal realm. And so if you want to know the secret of the Lord, like what should we do here in the United States of America under the Obama administration? Or what should we do? And God says, well, I'll tell you if you fear me. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Do you fear the Lord? Sometimes I think people don't have any fear of the Lord. There's no reverence. There's no awe. There's no fear of God in their eyes. I want to encourage you to have that, cultivate that healthy, not a, not an unhealthy, not where God's going to pound you every time you mess up. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a God who loves you to where if you get out of line, he will discipline you. He will give you a throngaso. He will. 
but you fear him in his majesty and in his love. You got to fear the Lord, right? And then another scripture that comes to mind is over in Proverbs 3, in verse 31. In Proverbs 3, 31 and 32, it says, Do not envy the oppressor, choose none of his ways. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his counsel is with, his secret counsel is with the upright. And so basically he's saying, you know, you see these guys over here and they're in their perversity, they're prospering. You know, in their wickedness, they're maybe wealthy. God says, don't, don't, you know, don't want it to go into that camp. You know, because the promise that I give to you is this, that his, your secret counsel is with the upright. That's what I want. I want the secret counsel of God more than I want all the stuff that the world can offer. Right? And the promise here now, however, is that we have to be upright. And so that means that I have to get right with God. And I have to stay right with God. And if you're not right with God here today, what are you waiting for? Get right with God. If you don't have a relationship with him, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't really, truly, 100% surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, you know, and you're still out there, you're living your own life, then you're not right with God. You got to be upright. You got to get right with God. Get rid of those things. They're no good for you. Ask God to give you strength. And you get right with God and you stay right with God. A lot of times people drift away. They don't usually fall away overnight, but they stop reading their Bibles and they stop praying and they stop seeking the Lord. Or when they do read their Bibles or pray or whatever it is, even sometimes go to church, they go and they do it with kind of like a casual routine type of attitude. They're not really hungering and thirsting after righteousness, not seeking the Lord with all their heart. And they do other things passionately. Why not this? Why not seeking the Lord passionately? God wants every person here to be right with him because of his love for you. And that's why, you know, I want to hear the secrets of the Lord. So number one, I have to fear the Lord. Number two, I have to get right and stay right with God. And then number three is over in the book of Amos. If you would go there, you might miss Amos if you go too fast. I don't know where Amos is. Do you guys know where Amos is? All right. After Joel. Page 1,402, Amos, verse 7 of chapter 3, it says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret, there's that word again, to his servants, the prophets. 
And so, Lord, how can I get the secret? How can I be like Daniel? You know, I don't want to venerate Daniel, but I want to emulate Daniel. There's no doubt in my mind that you gave him to us, not just for information, but for transformation. You gave him to us, and you wrote about him by the Holy Spirit to inspire me to live a life of good works and obedience. Lord, how can I learn the secrets? And God says, number one, fear him. Number two, get right with God. Stay right. And then number three is to serve him. He says he reveals his secret to his servants who end up being the prophets. What's a prophet? A prophet is one who foretells or foretells God's word. And so you might not be a pastor or a teacher. Maybe you will. Maybe you'll be the next Billy Graham. It doesn't really matter as long as you would be willing to speak on behalf of God to the people of God You know, you can be a prophet. God can speak through you as you have a heart to simply serve him. I want to become a servant. You know, I want to become a bond servant. I'm a slave. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. When you have that heart, you watch what God will do. God will show you secrets. God will reveal things to you. You know, about yourself or maybe things that other people need to know. And again, like I said earlier, it's not Gnosticism or mysticism. It's just theism. We don't get weird, but man, we love the Lord and we want to hear his voice. And so Daniel here, he just says, you know, um, there is a God back in Daniel 2 who reveals secrets. And and King Nebuchadnezzar, he's shown you what will be in the latter days days and then we pick it up in verse 28b it says your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these as for you O king thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this and he revealed secrets has made known to you what will be but as for me this secret has not been revealed to me because i have more wisdom than anyone living But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Now again, he hasn't revealed the dream yet, or the interpretation of it. He's still kind of saying some things he needs to say before he reveals the dream. And and basically, Daniel, before anything, he kind of hits home. He says, King, um, you were on your bed. And you were thinking about your life. You were worried about your kingdom. And and he says that right there, King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 29, As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. You know, um, sometimes we have... How many of you dreamed last night, just out of curiosity? Okay, you all dreamed, because everybody dreams every night, right? Um, we don't know why. I mean, we don't. Some people blame it on tacos. I, I, you guys have probably heard that before. Um, but sometimes it's what was wearing you down throughout the day. There's something there, and you're thinking about it. And some people, when they go to sleep at night, they start worrying about their life. And what ends up happening? And maybe it doesn't even happen at night. Maybe it's all day long. And so when the nighttime comes, you can't even sleep. And, and Daniel, I don't know, but he's just talking to the king. He says, King, 
You were there and you were worried. You were there and you were thinking and you were wondering, you know, what's going to happen to my great kingdom? You know, and as he's there, um, you know, I, I just thinking to myself, too, about how we can be guilty of that, how we think about our lives, what's going to happen to me and my you know, kingdom, my family, my wife, my children, this ministry, that property, the retirement to come, health care. You know, we think about the future, and that's okay to think about it and care about it and be concerned and plan on all those things. But here's the thing. Don't worry about it. Don't ever let it come to a place in your life where you lose sleep over it. You can rest in the Lord. You know, Jesus said seven times, and seven is the number of completion. He said seven times in the Gospels, do not worry. Do not worry. When we worry, we sin. Why? Because the Lord told us not to, and we do. We can trust him. Remember, he's the God of heaven, and that means he's sitting on the throne in full control of your kids. Those are the heaviest ones on our hearts. Your marriage, your finances, your health, or whatever it is that's heavy there. God says, I want you to know that you can trust me. And when you do, then you will sleep at night. And I'm not saying that that's the reason for everyone who loses sleep, but I am saying that that's part of the reason for some who lose sleep. Man, they just got to trust the Lord. Daniel tells the king, hey, you were worrying. And, and, and so he's got to tell him that because God is so personal. But then he does his best to make it clear that you know, I'm going to tell you this revelation and it's going to be a miracle, but I want you to know it's not because of man, not this man, Daniel. It's not because of me and my wisdom. Um, notice again there in verse 30. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, that, so that's him and his friends, right, who make known the interpretation and and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. And so he says, it is for me and it is for you, but it's not because of me. And, and Daniel really wants to lay that out. And I just think it's so beautiful. You know, it's important that when God uses our lives, we do not take even a tidbit of glory. It's so important to minister and it takes, it really takes a focus to minister in such a way that we point people away from us. That's very important because it's really easy to minister in such a way that we want people to look to us. That's what happens naturally on my part and your part. People will, you know, elevate the vessel, you know, but we need to minister in such a way that we point people away from us. You don't need to be dependent on me. You don't need to look to me. The truth is... I'm unable, I'm, I'm, I'm unworthy, I'm wicked, I'm wretched, I'm a man on the earth. I am, we all are a man on the earth, but there is a God in heaven that I want you to fall in love with, that I want you to fellowship with, that I will always point you to. Because the day, when the day comes, and it will come when I fail you, when the day comes when I'm gone, taken out of your life, God will never fail you. And God will never leave you nor forsake you. And all I want is for you to be strong in the Lord. Daniel says, listen, King, it's not because of me. It's not because I'm the wisest guy. 
Not because I'm the best guy. Because God wants to work in my life and God wants to work in your life. And I, and I say that to you guys because all throughout the Bible we read of that inclination in every generation to exalt man to the place of veneration or even mediation. There's no mediators between God and man except for Jesus Christ. First Timothy 2, five. You don't need a mediator. You don't need to go to man. God will use man sometimes to point you to him, to give you the truth, but make sure eventually you wing yourself off of that individual and you come to the Lord. You know, we have that inclination, you know, and I think all of us are guilty of it. I have to fight myself against that as well. Remember when Peter and John, they went to the temple to pray in Acts chapter 3, and there was a guy there who had been lame ever since he was born. So all his life for 40 years, he could not walk. And then the Lord used Peter and John. He said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And that guy got up. He started walking. He started leaping, praising God. What a miracle. After 40 years of not walking, just boom, instantly he began to walk. And so when you read there in Acts chapter 3, they were just blown away. And they're like, wow, look at what you've done. And then in Acts 3 verse 12, it says, when Peter saw it, he responded to the people And he said, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us? As though by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk. It was nothing of me. Just a vessel. Later on, he says, it's the name of Jesus. It was Jesus who made this man walk. And Daniel wants to make it clear as he's about to be used by the Lord. It's not me. Don't think it's me. You know, it's the Lord. And so he begins to share in verse 31. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, and its legs of iron. Its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that there no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. And so Daniel now tells him his dream. They said, you were there, you were watching, and you saw this enormous, dazzling statue. It was awesome in appearance, one of impressive size, extraordinary brightness. It was standing before you. Uh, one translation said, in its appearance caused alarm. It was shining brilliantly. It was frightening. It was awesome. And so, you know, this amazing uh, statue and image, and the king was watching. And so the king, first of all, he sees, uh, according to Daniel, what he saw was the, the head was of fine gold, or literally it was just pure gold, right? And then he says beneath it, the chest and the arms, they were of silver, and then the belly, and we always see these, um, these statues. Have you guys ever seen pictures of the statue? It's this buff guy 
who knows, maybe he had a belly. I don't know. Um, right here, it mentions his belly, right, of bronze, right, thighs of bronze, and then legs of iron. Feet were partly of iron and partly of clay. Some say baked clay. Some say wet clay. Main thing is it was clay. And we're going to see that clay is weak, right? And so he said, you watched the whole thing. You saw this image, and then a stone was cut out without hands. So without hands, what does that mean? It was God. Whenever it's without hands, it means it's not a work of man. This is a work of God. The stone was cut out, and it says right there, and it, and it, and it struck the, the image on the feet, Right? And then all the, all the image, it was just blown away like chaff. And you guys know what chaff is, right? When they're separating the wheat from the chaff, it's what you know, surrounds the seed. They throw it up in the air and then you know, they thresh it and then they throw it up in the air and the chaff is just blown away. And you saw, King, you saw this whole image and then this rock that came that you know, conquered all the other, it, it just grew and it became a great mountain and it filled the whole earth. Right? That was your dream. And I love it because then it not only gives the dream, but then it gives the interpretation of the dream in verse 36. He says, this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens... He has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. And so Daniel starts telling him, you know, that what it, what it means. And so, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is probably thinking, cool, you know, I'm the, I'm the head, you know, and I'm the head of gold. And, and, you know, he didn't know what the other stuff meant. Who knows what he was thinking, you know, about his kingdom or whatever. Uh, and he says, well, that's you. And when you study the life of Nebuchadnezzar, and we've talked about this a little bit, you know, he came and, and he conquered Egypt, he conquered uh, Assyria, he conquered Edom, he conquered Moab, he conquered um, just these amazing countries. He had this uh, unrivaled power. He was the son of Nabopolassar. Um, he reigned uh, for over 50 years, an incredible man. It says he has dominion over the animals. What does that remind you of? Adam. I mean, this guy right here, you know, he had some power, man. He was pure gold, the head, fine gold, right? But what does Daniel tell him? Daniel tells him, God gave it to you. The God of heaven has given this to you. You know, and... That was, we're going to see the Lord is so cool. He's trying to deal with him. He's trying to humble him. These guys, and I just tell you, man, when I think of our president, when I think of the leaders of the various countries over in Russia or just wherever they are, and I just think, man, how arrogant they are and how ungodly they are. And I cannot wait for the day of revelation when they realize it was God, the one that they're denying, who put them there for his purposes. You know, we don't understand it. Of course, like I've told you before, we have a responsibility, you know, to vote such people out, whatever we can, you know, within the law. But, but God in his sovereignty is working out this big plan. 
right? And he tells Nebuchadnezzar, you know, I put you there. I gave you power. I wanted to discipline my people. That's the only reason you are who you are. Unfortunately, Nebuchadnezzar, it would take chapter 3 and chapter 4. We're going to see how to go through a whole lot to finally get the message to humble him. There are some people, who knows, maybe they're even here in this church right now that are atheists. They don't believe in God. And yet he's the one who made them. He's the one who keeps their heart beating. And he's trying to share with them, you know, how God had given him so much power. It's amazing. God says, I put you there. I determined your dominion. You are the head of gold. And then in verse 39, he says, But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. And so, you know, it could have meant any anything. It could have meant something within the Babylonian kingdom. But Daniel here now tells him what it meant. He meant, okay, king, you're Babylon. After you... There's going to be another kingdom that's going to arise inferior to yours. History tells us that that was the Medo-Persian Empire. And they ruled the world from 539 to 331 B.C. After them came the Greek Empire. And they ruled the world under Alexander the Great from 331 to 63 B.C. And as we go through Daniel chapter 7 and other chapters throughout this book, you're going to see that God gives even more details, the swiftness of each victory, the nature of each victory, even the way that the Grecian Empire was divided under his four generals. I mean, just amazing. The book of Daniel is absolutely amazing. And then the Iron uh, Empire. You guys know who the Iron Empire is, right? Who ruled the world with an iron fist? The Roman Empire, right? From 63 B.C. all the way to 476 A.D. And we're going to see these prophecies even in much more detail. And, and Daniel tells him, you know, this whole thing. But then he goes forward into our time in verse 41. He says, Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it. Just as you saw the iron with mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And so you've got the gold, and that's Babylon. You've got the silver, and that's Medo-Persia. You know, you've got the um, the Greek Empire, which is the brass, and then you've got this Iron uh, Empire, which is Roman. But then you get to the feet, and the feet have the ten toes. And he says there there's still some iron there, but it's mingled with clay. And so what we believe is 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 that that iron has to stay consistent. And what it is is the revived Roman Empire. What it is if today you go online and you discover the power of what's known as the European community and how the Antichrist will rise out of the European community, how God is gathering not just one nation. Notice there's ten toes. So God is gathering all these nations within the European community and they're a revived Roman Empire. And out of that, God says, that's going to be the last world power. 
You know, and it's interesting when you look at this whole thing, you know, um, the image. We kind of look at it and we think, wow, wow, look at that image, right? But when you look closer, do you see the way that it's digressing? Do you see the way that it goes from gold to silver to, to brass to iron and then clay? You know, we look at our society, we look at our world and we think that we're progressing, but we are not progressing as a society. You know, we look at our technology and we think, look at all these things. You know that when the machines began and, you know, even computers, they were all introduced with this um, hope that, you know, the day would come, they said, when you won't have to work, you know, like a lot, you can probably just work two days a week. Well, don't you wish that was true, man? <laughs> no, man, we're working two jobs, you know? Husband and wife are working, I mean, seven days a week. We have not progressed. You know, we have all this medicine and doctors and, and life. You know, we live a longer life. But do we live a better life? We have all these things, I and mean, gadgets and gizmos galore, Right? And what do they do? Supposed to make our life better, but they distract us from God. You know, it's interesting. We look at it, we think it's so beautiful. Later on, when God gives us his perspective of all the nations, you know what he sees them as? Beasts. Beasts. And that's why the end of the age, when the Antichrist comes, he's he's called the beast. We're not getting better, you guys. Unless we're Christians, unless we come back to the Lord and we do things his way. But our world is not progressing. Warren Wiersbe said, from the human point of view, the kingdoms of the world look like metal. But from the divine point of view, they're like beasts. Daniel chapter 7. Note that the value of the metal decreases as history unfolds until the nations end up a weak mixture of iron and clay. See, God does not see progress in what man does. He sees only increasing weakness. But then what happens, you guys? Verse 44. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is true. And what is Daniel saying there? I know you know how by the Holy Spirit. He's saying that when that European community arises, when that... Roman Empire is revived. Jesus is coming. You know, and we see all the triggers of it. The restoration of Israel in 1948. The the gathering of Jerusalem in 1967. We see, you know, things going on in Iran, which used to be called Persia, spoken of in the Bible. And the things going on in Russia today. And there was a time where people thought Russia was dead. Russia was gone. It ain't. She ain't. She's supposed to invade Israel. And it can happen any day now when things are getting hostile in the Middle East. All we're saying is that Jesus is coming. That rock that was cut out without hands, that was cut out by God is coming and it will crush all these kingdoms. And they'll be blown away like chaff. 
And then his kingdom, he will rule the earth. And you know, to the captives in Babylon, when Daniel's writing this, the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah would come. He gave them hope. And for us here today, you know, and we wonder, Lord, what are we doing? You know, we're building his kingdom because his kingdom is coming and his kingdom will be a kingdom that will never end. In Luke 1, 32, it says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The Father said to the Son in Psalm 45, verse 6, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You know, I don't know about you, but I I get super excited when I think about heaven, you know? I mean, heaven, like I've told you many times, do you guys ever think about it? Do you ever think about it? Man, Lord, one day we'll be home. You know, we're getting ready. We're going to go camping, Lord willing, this summer. And I, and I do look forward to it. But you guys know how it is when you go camping, right? You're like, okay, I can handle this uh, maybe three days, four days. But after that, I want to go home. <laughs> I want to take a shower. I want to sleep in my bed. I want to, you know, all those. It says there's nothing like home. There's nothing like home, right? I, I'm sure you feel that way. Well, we're not home. You know, and that's why life sometimes is crazy and it can get hard. One day we'll be home. We'll get a new body. We'll be able to eat as much as we want. We won't gain weight. Chocolate will be good for you. <laughs> Double doubles on every corner, in and out. I'm telling you, man, it's, it, I cannot wait for heaven, you know? I mean, uh, it'll be a, a kingdom of righteousness, and we're going to see, we're going to see Jesus. We'll see my loved ones that I passed on before me. I'm going to see them there. See, we have to have this hope as an anchor. And that's why he's writing to these guys and he's telling them, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, this is partly for you. You know, you're going to rule and other kingdoms are going to rule after you and inferior to yours. But the day will come when Messiah is going to come and he's going to set up his kingdom forever and ever and ever. And that's the one we look to, right? And so when you read this, you know, revelation and then the interpretation, uh, we close with a couple of words of application. In verse 46, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face. You think he tripped? No, he tripped out, huh? (laughs) prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and the revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. And I love this because this is what happens when you realize that God tells the end from the beginning, 25% of the Bible is prophetic, When you realize, and God has done this in my life, he's told me secrets through other people. They told me things that God had been ministering to my heart, prayers that I've been praying. You know, it's just amazing when you get a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, when those spiritual gifts begin to get exercised. I'm telling you, man, it brings you to that place. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you find yourself in frustration. God says, well, let me show you who I am so you can fall down in prostration. And you fall on your face. 
Not only that, when God uses your life, and there you are, wherever you are. And I really believe this, that you're not at your workplace just to make money. That's part of it. God's going to provide for your family. But I really believe that you're there as a, as a missionary. You're in the dark, you're light. You're on this earth, you're salt. You're preservative. You're going to make people hungry after the Lord. We're out there in the highways and byways, the valleys and the alleys. You're out there and you're storming the gates of hell. You're on the front lines, just like Daniel was. And when you let God's power shine through your life, people like Nebuchadnezzar will recognize your God as the living God, the living God. And they'll come to the Lord. God has you there in strategic places. You know, I'll tell you this story real quick. Yesterday, um, Friday, I got a phone call. Uh, It was actually a student in one of our local high schools. She called, and she was telling me that what happened in her life, in her family, was that her and her sister were playing with an Ouija board. And, um, And she said that they... They ever since that happened, and she was just a real simple, sweet, you know, young high school girl. Uh, she said, "Ever since that happened, a lot of bad things have been happening to us." And so I told her, "You know, tell me, you know, what's going on?" And she was telling me the bad things that that began to happen, even people dying, and so um. I started talking to her, and I said, well, how did you call us? Just out of curiosity, how did you call us? And she said, well, the teacher at the high school, she goes to Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, and they told her to call here, I guess because we're closer. And so I thought to myself, wow, thank God for that teacher in that public school. Like Daniel in Bad Babylon making a difference. And so I was, this, I was able to share with her, you know, um, the only way out is to give your life to Christ. I can pray for you. We can pray over your house. I can have the whole church pray for you. But the only way is for you to give your life to Jesus. And she did. You know, she gave her life to the Lord. But that wouldn't have happened if there wasn't somebody working there who was a Christian, who loved the Lord. You see, application to the interpretation is that your life will bring others to prostration, to to worship God. And then God is going to lift you up. Look at verse 48. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. God will put you places. Uh, The Bible says in Psalm 75, 6, and 7, that exaltation doesn't come from the east or the west or the south. It comes from the north. It comes from God. The Bible says in Proverbs 14.35, the king's favor is toward a wise servant. It says in Proverbs 18.16, that a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. 
And so there you have Mordecai there in the book of Esther, chapter 10, given the second most powerful position in the world. Or you have Joseph in Genesis chapter 41, same thing. They were promoted by God. There you have Nehemiah as the king's cupbearer, Obadiah in charge of King Ahab's house there in 1 Kings chapter 18. You see, what we find, you guys, is Daniel here is such a great example to us. And we learn from him. God will lift you up. God will raise you up. God will open doors. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. God will do it. But what he wants is he wants a life like Daniel. He said, I purpose, we, we purpose in our heart not to defile ourselves with the king's delicacies. And so with that purpose, God gave him great purpose. And God will do the same with us. See, astrologers and fortune tellers and scientists and prognosticators, they cannot tell the future apart from demonic guessing. But God tells the future with divine blessing, right? You see, one of the things that we got to learn in all this, and I'll just close with this, is God doesn't simply reveal the future. He rules the future. It's not that God simply knows the future. He controls it. And that's not just for, you know, the whole wide world. That's for each, each one of our lives. See, we fall short of the glory of God. We've sinned and we've separated ourselves from God. But Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross for all of our sins, past, present, future. And the Bible says it's so cool. It's just a gift that if you turn from your sins and you trust in Christ, If you repent and receive Him as Lord and Savior, then you can be saved. It's not a religion. It's not works. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to stand on your head until your ears are red. You don't have to do anything like that. Heaven is so much closer. All you have to do is believe. Right here, right now. If you find yourself struggling, struggling with addictions, struggling with marriage, struggling with your kids, struggling with your body, struggling in life. Have you really given your life to the Lord? Have you really surrendered to Him? If you're not sure, then do that now. Whether it be a recommitment, first-time commitment, but you just pray to the Lord, and He will receive you. The Bible says, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us, Lord, this time and to study your word, Lord. And it's just so amazing how you're able to tell literally, you know, a thousand years in advance all these things about the kingdoms of the world. But even more mind-boggling than that, Lord, is you're able to see in the bedroom of King uh, of Babylon the worries that he had. You're such an amazing God. And I pray, Lord, that every person here, they would know how much you love them and that they would receive your love. Every single person, Lord, I pray that not one, not one would leave today without giving you their heart, without making a firm decision 
to truly follow you. Because you have proven yourself. And so I pray, Lord, you do that work. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.